0: GM, GM, welcome to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. I'm Kyle Rita, joined by my new co host, just an interim co host, Andrew Saunders, who's been on the podcast a few times actually, but he's back for another round. And Andrew and I believe that Web3 is going to change the world. And that's why we are carving a path for doers to confidently build and invest in Web3. Andrew, thanks for filling in for Jade today. How's it going? We got to do it. GM, GM. (laughs) Congratulations, (laughs) Mr. Jaber. We're very happy for you, sir. He's trying to figure out the dad life right now, so he's a busy, busy man. But to go with that, it's also a busy, busy week in Web3 as per usual. And so today we're going to talk about a lot of things. It's raining Bitcoin ETFs. You might have noticed there's a lot of green in the markets right now. That's probably why. And it's coming from the biggest players in the space. So we'll talk all about that. We've got some other news going on with Dot Swoosh, who's partnering with Fortnite. It's actually Nike, but there's some Dot Swoosh stuff going on there as well. We've got some ETH scriptions. We're now copycatting. So Bitcoin first copycatted ETH with NFTs. Now we're copycatting Bitcoin with the way they're doing it. So it's a weird world out there, but we'll talk about what's going on that. We've got some bullish on-chain data and really just so much more stuff going on in this space. So we're going to cover all that. But before we do. As per usual, we've got to start off with some gratitude. So Andrew, why don't you start off for us today? What are you grateful for? I'm grateful
1: for my family. I'm grateful for
0: my friends and I'm grateful for decentralized exchanges. (laughs) these centralized exchanges did you have an issue with some centralized ones or what's going on here no this, this is just leading into the narratives we're about to get into yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely nice i love it great things to be grateful for i love that and grateful for my girlfriend i spent the last two weeks away from her and uh, i was in lisbon having a great time by the way loved it there it was awesome but uh, she came and picked me up at the airport and uh, we went out for dinner and we've been hanging out since and it's just been a great time so glad to have her and uh Glad to be back here in, in Canada. Though I can only say that for like a few months because once it gets cold here, it absolutely sucks being in Canada. So I gotta be I gotta be grateful for these moments for now. <laughs> all right. So before we get into all the things, let's give a quick I wanna get a little bit of background and share it to the listeners. For those who are new and haven't been around for when Andrew, I don't know how long ago was he joined us months ago now, but you've been on a few times. But just to give a quick background, then I'm gonna throw it over to you, Andrew, to to kind of walk us through what's going on in your life these days. But Andrew has worked at every big brand, I think, in the world, or at least has helped every single big brand. His last kind of big hooray was with Amazon. He moved from Amazon and joined us all in the Web3 world at Arbitrum. This happened, I believe, last year. And since then, he's now the CMO of Hashflow, which is a leading multi-chain decentralized exchange. Probably has something to do with your um, gratitude today. And he's building out a team there. So, hey, actually, when you give your intro here, if you want to give us a little bit of background of Hashflow, what you guys are up to. But also, if you've got some open positions, feel free to shill. We've got a bunch of listeners that uh, I'm sure are are looking. So yeah, what's going on with Hashflow? What's going on with you? Just give us a little bit of update on on your life. Yeah, yeah. So quick update, jumped over to the B2C world of marketing,
1: which I'm very excited about. Obviously, a huge DeFi fan. Anyone that's on CT is probably aware of that. But you know, the quick TLDR, multi-chain decentralized exchange, no slippage, no MEV. Price you see is the price you get, and I think like the the key differentiator is what's called an RFQ model, request for quote model. So you're basically getting that guaranteed pricing from professional market makers. And I think for me, it's you know a couple things. One, the quality of the team. You know, at Arbitrum, obviously, I worked with hundreds and hundreds of projects. As you're exposed to different teams, certain talent starts to send out to you. And I think if you look at the backgrounds of these guys, you know, NASA, Amazon, Airbnb, Google, Meta, I think based is a pretty good good term to describe the team. And then the other thing for me is someone who's, I guess, now crypto native, which I maybe couldn't have said a couple of years ago, now understand obviously the investment space even more than I did prior to coming in. So, you know, obviously like most was very familiar with all the traditional VCs, now even closer with the crypto native VCs. So when I see folks like Dragonfly and Electric investing. And I see folks like Naval and Balaji and Meltum and Anthony Sasano and Jason Choi. These are all what we call signals, friends. So enough positive signals gave me the uh, the thumbs up on Hashflow. The only other thing to kind of call out, which is kind of interesting and cool, is um, my early days. So when I was at Amazon, I was building their global entertainment marketing practice. And part of that is I come from Hollywood. I was in Hollywood for about 10 years. So we are actually also partnering with Hollywood, which is, is very exciting for me. So I get to kind of go back to my early days a little bit, but we're partnering with the cre- with the creative minds behind giant franchises like Fast and the Furious, Avengers, Captain America, and building what I would call kind of the first ever gamified, you know, DAO governance platform. And so if you like GameFi, if you like earning rewards, and if you like wrecking other communities, again, there'll be more kind of information coming out, but we're going to launch this summer. And I think part of what I'm excited about is one, we're really creating something that can help bring a lot of different DAOs and communities together in a way that I haven't really seen before. And then, two, I think just adding a whole nother layer of kind of engagement and entertainment to governance, which you know, for a lot of folks, I think can be uh, not as as exciting as certain other uh, parts of this industry. So, very very excited about that and more to come. Yeah,
0: awesome. Well, congrats on the on the new gig. Excited to see what you guys do over at Hashflow. And I've got up on the screen here, Hashverse. This is what you're talking about, about this like kind of new game and and situation that's going on. So keep an eye on that, friends. I'm sure it'll be cool. You've got some big backers and Andrew's a a beast when it comes to marketing. So we know that Hashflow, Hashverse is is gonna do well.
1: Okay, so. Just just so uh, we can hit that one. So exciting news, I just hired someone from Nike, someone from Amazon, someone from Coinbase. So we're building a, a pretty killer team. We have two roles open, community manager, specifically looking for someone in Europe or APAC, and also a marketing coordinator, probably looking for someone who's on like a North American time zone, but, but both of those will also be posted on LinkedIn. And then you'll probably see them on social and
0: discord as well. Cool. I'm sure you'll have them if we go to your Twitter or where should they go to find that if they're on Twitter? Yeah, you can we- follow me on Twitter at Andrew
1: Saunders, or I would honestly just follow our corporate account at Haslow. As you know, never click links. So
0: yeah. link in bio, verified handle. It's crazy that we have to be warning about these things. All right. So perfect. Thanks for the intro, Andrew. We love that. Guys, let's get into the news. I mean, Bitcoin and these ETFs are going absolutely crazy last week. So we want to cover that. Before we do, just two things. One quick announcement. We've got an event, another event going on in the Web3 Academy Discord next week, Tuesday, 12 o'clock PM EST. And we're going to be talking about how to invest in application tokens. Application tokens meaning anything from applications. So dApps, protocols, DAOs, social tokens, how do you think through these tokens and tokenomics and think through the space? We're going to be covering that and doing a big deep dive into that. And then we'll have a Q&A session. So we welcome the community to join that. It's free. Just join into our Discord, 12 p.m. EST next Tuesday. Other than that, we're going to dive into the show. But before we do, let's take a quick second to hear from our sponsor. The future of social media is here, and that future lives in Web3 on top of Lens Protocol. Web2 social platforms are broken and ripe for disruption. You see, the epicenter of social media is the creators, and yet they are the most neglected. Web2 platforms like Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram are all essentially robbing creators of their worth. Creators are a new type of entrepreneur, forming new types of businesses. Yet with Web2 platforms, creators don't own their content or their profiles, and that's their product and business. Instead, they're tied to the platforms they choose to create on. Well, just like how crypto is freeing us from banks, Web3 is freeing us from these centralized platforms. On Lens Protocol, creators own their content, own their profile, and even their social graph and followers in the form of NFTs. This allows you to move freely from one social application to another with your content, profile, and followers moving along with you. Lens Protocol enables self-sovereignty for your social graph and interoperability across the internet. At Web3 Academy, we believe this is the future of social and that's why we've partnered with Lens to ensure that the path of social media is heading in the right direction. Visit lens.xyz to learn more today. We love the Ave team. <laughs> we do. We love the Ave team. We love the Lens team. That's a good ad. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Okay, so maybe you guys have all heard, maybe, but there's a bunch of Bitcoin spot ETFs that are now potentially going to get passed. We will see if they get approved. But let me just walk you through all the different organizations that have now tried to file for a spot Bitcoin ETF over the last really just couple days. And then Andrew and I will dive into what this means and kind of what's going on here. But first, the biggest financial institution pretty much in the world, BlackRock, with $10 trillion of assets under management, was the one that really started this off. I think it was last Thursday or Friday. I can't remember now. June 15th, I guess it says. And they have filed for a spot Bitcoin ETF. That kind of shook the world. And I think everyone was just like, whoa, what's happening here? And then since then, we've had Fidelity, who's also filed for one. We've had Wisdom Tree, which is another institution which has $87 billion under management. We have Invesco, which has $1.49 trillion under management. We have Valkyrie, which I think was just yesterday, and so they actually filed with the ticker being Burr, so B R R R R, which is hilarious. So there's a little bit of memes, yeah, a little bit of memes coming in here. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, we had Fidelity, who also did, and they've also rumored to potentially be buying Grayscale as well. Now that's still just a rumor; nothing's really kind of gone through there yet. But Grayscale, as we know, they have the it's not a spot, but they have a trust right now which you could invest in on the typical uh, American exchanges, but they have not been able to move into an ETF like they've wanted. They were actually blocked by the SEC. So they're currently suing the SEC to try to get approval to transition from a trust over to the ETF, which is what the other ones are filing for. So that's currently happening, and who knows how long that'll take. But I think there's been five or six over the last week now in total that have all been filing for an ETF on Bitcoin, We have futures ETFs. We don't have a spot Bitcoin ETF. Spot means, basically just for anyone who's not aware, means that if someone buys one of the shares, they're actually then going buy spot Bitcoin. And if they sell the shares, they got to sell that Bitcoin. So it actually moves to the price of Bitcoin and it helps with the demand supply aspects of Bitcoin itself, whereas futures don't. There's a little bit of a bunch of things behind the scenes that happen. So it's not actually one-to-one kind of thing like this is. So this would be a big deal. This is kind of what we wanted for a long time. The gold industry really became this like legit massive industry when spot gold came to the markets, which BlackRock was the one that did that. I forget when, many, many years ago. But that was really what took gold into a massive bull run for many years. And so it's something that we've been wanting the space for a long time. Now, is this necessarily a good thing for Bitcoin? Bitcoin's meant to be self-custody. It's meant to be you know the ability for you to hold your own assets. Obviously an ETF, that's not the case. BlackRock or whoever will be holding them for you. So there's some not so great things about this, but obviously this allows for a lot of people to come in and be able to buy Bitcoin that otherwise wouldn't, right? Like my parents, for example, probably would never buy Bitcoin on an exchange, but they might go and use their investment fund to buy it via an ETF. And there's a lot of institutions, same idea. So obviously this can drive a lot of adoption. We've seen it in the price over the last just couple of days where Bitcoin has just mooned. What's your take on this? Andrew, would love to get your background first on, on kind of what you're seeing here and, and what your thoughts are. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I look at it as uh, there are both pros and cons to it. I think
1: I agree in terms of awareness and adoption, that's kind of the first thing that I looked at was, here's what's going to happen. This is going to hit mainstream press, normies are going to become more aware, it's going to drive interest, you know, TYOR, and we know kind of what follows. And I think in general, my take on that is those of us in this industry are clearly very intellectually curious. There's more folks that are intellectually curious that just may not be early adopters so again my hope is that this news can bring more folks into this industry both as traders and as you know maybe employees and, and folks that are actually integrated in so so i think that's good on the other side I, I do agree with you candidly for
0: me i i want custody of all my digital assets i agree and i think look not everyone as great as self-custody is not everyone cares about self-custody And that's okay, right? That's fine. And there's a lot of people in the space that are like, no, there can be no centralized companies in Web3 and everyone has to self-custody and put it in their Fort Knox, like Ledger slash whatever hardware wallet. And it's like, guys, there's a spectrum. Some people care about self-custody and some people don't care as much. And that's okay too. The thing to understand is there's only 21 million of these Bitcoins and a lot of it is going to get siphoned into these ETFs if they get approved. Uh, And so- I mean, does this start the next bull run? I don't know. It definitely can. I mean, it did for gold. So I don't see why it doesn't for for Bitcoin. But here's the thing. Will it get approved? We don't know. The big news, I guess, here is so BlackRock is the one that's leading this. And BlackRock is they're the biggest in the world in terms of launching ETFs. Their track record is 575 approvals to one that was declined. That's it. So... They're like, what, 99.9% approval rate. So it's crazy the the timing that this came in. I mean, we have the SEC fighting Coinbase, the SEC fighting Binance, the SEC fighting Ripple, the SEC fighting Grayscale to get an ETF. And, you know, we've had all these blowups of all these centralized companies over the last year and a bit of a shit show. And when everyone was like, oh, my God, doom and gloom, crypto's dead. Out of nowhere, BlackRock comes in and says, hey, we're filing and we're going to make this happen. Um, so it's interesting timing. What do you do you have a take on the timing of all this by any chance, Andrew? No comment. No (laughs) comment. The one thing I will say that that's you know good to know for anyone that's not a big trader
1: or doesn't live on CT, I mean you tend to see kind of the same cycle happen over and over. So again, D Y O R, but a lot of times you see you know, impact on Bitcoin, that results in impact on Ethereum, then results on, you know, impact on alt. And then obviously when you think of correlation, you know, I, I came from Arbitrum, obviously a lot of people think of Arbitrum as Ethereum. <laughs> so you can make that correlation. So in general, I would say just, you know, continue to kind of follow the news, follow the narratives and just uh, prepare
0: yourself. For yeah, absolutely. Again, we're going to be talking about those cycles, exactly what you're talking about in that the event that we're having in our discord in, on Tuesday. So if you're interested in that, then uh, make sure to end. But I got a tweet up here from Kush3098, and he just says, so let me get this straight. They shut down crypto-friendly banks. They sued every major exchange. They screamed that crypto was a Ponzi and full of scammers. And then they bought all the coins at the bottom and simultaneously filed for Bitcoin ETFs. They're not even hiding it anymore. That is kind of the timeline that we've been going through. And it's, it's wild, but that's crypto, right? You can never be surprised because just the things that happen in this space always are just always insane. So. You gotta be on your toes at all times. But who knows what's happening here with the government the regulatory bodies, et cetera. There's a lot of talk that, hey, this was the regulatory bodies trying to, you know, bring the price down so that the big tradfi can come in and start buying it up and get their ETFs in. Is that the case? Who knows? It's all speculation. But all we know is there's a lot of ETFs that the SEC has to deal with right now and decide are they gonna approve them. I assume they will get approved, but I also understand like this can play out for a long time. I think the the latest, so basically what happens here is for any of these ETFs, the SEC has 45 days to respond, but they don't have to respond yes or no. They can respond with a delay. So either yes, no, or let's delay. Then they have another 45 days to so do the same thing, then 60 days, and then I think another 45. So this is going to be drawn out most likely. I think the earliest or like the, I guess the latest that they can make a decision here would be, it's like February of 2024. So I wouldn't expect this to get approved anytime soon. But again, who knows? Frick, maybe they come out tomorrow and just say, yes, I have absolutely no idea. Um, again, that's just the wildest. But anyway, this is what we want. We're like you said, we're all over the media again. This is getting all across mainstream news. And so it's bringing back the crypto industry to life, which is honestly we needed after the last year so. I'm bullish. I'm excited. And I think um, it's great news. Next up on the list, we've got a, more going on with the big banks, with big TradFi. They all seem to be coming in the space at the same time. So interestingly, as we have all this drama going on with the, with the big centralized exchanges, we have a new exchange that is just gone live and it's called EDX. And this was an exchange that has been backed by Schwab, by Fidelity, by Citadel. So some massive, massive backers in this. And the weird thing about this exchange, though maybe not so weird if we see what's going on with the SEC, is they're only allowing for trading of four tokens, uh, which is Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. So quite interesting here, but is a centralized exchange. But I guess competition to, let's say, Coinbase, Binance, et cetera. And so interesting timing again for this, but some big players that are saying, hey, we believe in the crypto space and we're going to back an exchange. And so that's what we have here with EDX. Andrew, any thoughts on this one? Feels centralized to me.
1: you know, a quick take on it. I, you know, obviously keep close tabs on Fidelity just because they've been kind of earlier than most. I think my understanding is up until now, you could basically only trade Bitcoin and Ethereum. So obviously we're now looking at, you know, four tokens instead of two. But, but, you know, the challenge for me is, is this just feels, not only does it feel extremely centralized, there's a lack of options. It's a hard pass for me. You know, I think it'll help again with driving awareness, probably driving some normie adoption, not something that'll touch. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I would agree. I'm probably not touching either. I mean, I just don't really need to. I'm going to always use things on chain. I'm going to use decentralized stuff as per usual. I guess the good thing about this is it is a good onboarding exchange, right? Because you can take your fiat and turn it into crypto, which we need more of. We've obviously had those issues of a lot of banks shutting down. We've had a lot of exchanges shut down. So to have one that I mean is if it's backed by these institutions, it's likely going to be very, you know, regulated and I'm sure they'll do it all the right way. So like you said, good to bring in the normies. But again, if you're ever using an exchange and it's centralized, use it to exchange your fiat and then get it the hell off there and move it to another wallet and and put it on a hardware wallet if you need. Whatever you're doing, just make sure that it's self-custody and then do any exchanges after that somewhere on a decentralized exchange. Hashflow, whatever you want to use, use that, but don't be doing them on these exchanges. I know it has good backers, but so did FTX. (laughs) And look at what happened. So just... If you you don't have to trust, that's the beauty about the space. Is you can just self-custody yourself, and you never have to trust anyone or any institution. I think that's that's really what we want. That's the whole purpose of this entire industry. So great, this helps kind of legitimize what we're doing. Again, custody your own assets. That's the way. And then finally, one more of kind of the big news of again, sort of TradFi entering. Deutsche Bank applies for a digital asset custody license in Germany, which they have assets of 1.3 trillion. So another massive institution which what they'll be doing is basically being an intermediary or custodying assets for large institutions. Um, there's talk that they might bring this into retail a- as well. But I mean, a lot of institutions, they want to touch crypto. They just don't want to deal with custodying themselves. And so they want institutions to do it for them. And so that's a big role that the banks will play for those that are crypto friendly. And now we have Deutsche Bank, who's looking to enter the space as well. It's interesting. A lot of them are coming in during the bear market. A lot of them coming in when, you know, there's all this fear and FUD going on in the space. And so, again, just a lot of great news of this last week. It's, it's You know what's really nice about this before I let you talk about this, Andrew? Sure. For the last, I don't know, months, we've had a lot of just like shitty news, you know? <laughs> SEC suing this, this thing falls apart, this thing going bankrupt, all this crap. And finally, it's like within one week, just all of this good news is happening. of just kind of bringing this space back into legitimacy, let's call it. So again, just great news happening. Andrew, any take you have on this one? I mean, first thing I'll say is I'm
1: greedy when others are fearful. So I'm just okay for the best couple months. But no, I mean, like, first off, big fan of Germany. Shout out to Club Mate. Shout out to Burger Meester. I think high level, one, I'm glad to see other countries embracing crypto. I'm glad to see other countries helping to create more clear guidelines because you and I know what that means. It means, one, new revenue for the country, two, new job opportunity for the country. So... When I see things like this, again, I go, you know, this will probably get mainstream press, awareness, normie adoption. But I also just get excited when I see things like this happening in, you know, Germany, France, and, and countries that I think are just very much embracing this innovation. So, yeah.
0: You know. My big takeaway too is, look, this space is global. And I've been saying this on the podcast a lot. And everything that's happening in the US, if it continues to go in the wrong direction in terms of regulation, if the SEC continues to overstep, like we're going to be okay. We've got you know yes. Germany doing this. We've got the UK who's all over this and putting in some good regulation. We've got mm-hmm. Dubai. We've got Hong Kong. It's all good. This is a global technology, a global movement. And the only person that's going to get hurt if the US regulates this in the wrong way is the US. I'm optimistic and I think that they're going to figure it out. So I'm not too concerned on the US side either, but even if they did, we're all good. We've got all these other countries that are doing so much for the space. So yeah. I've got no issues there. All right, let's move on to what I think is absolutely amazing. And I'm sure you're going to have a lot to talk about this one, Andrew, which is um, we've talked a lot about Dot Swoosh and what they've been doing. They had this big reveal over the last week and uh, I actually revealed I had two of the boxes. And so I revealed and I got some pretty sweet Air Force Ones. One is very, very rare. I actually should have got the pictures here. I didn't pull them up. I'll have to show them in the next the next roll. But I've got one like basic one, but it's just a nice Air Force One. Looks pretty sick. I'd actually wear it myself. The other one I got though is this like leather. It's like this maroon colored leather. And the image of it is like a crocodile, basically. I think it's called the Crocodile something. There's only 300 of them, of them in total out of. The, oh, I know this funny. It's like so where the shoes open and there's. Like, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then it's got a 24 karat gold like medallion on the, on the lace. They're pretty legit. I wouldn't wear them because it's just, I'm not that cool. But. Uh, <laughs> But they're super rare. And so I'm excited to see what happens with it. <laughs> yeah, would you? I could see you having some like crazy shoes on underneath there. I've never seen your legs, but I imagine you got some cool <laughs> shoes. <laughs> <It's> beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that reveal happened, which is cool. A lot of people were revealing some really nice stuff. And then they came out and they announced that they're actually partnering with Fortnite. So this is a, a massive, massive deal. Now this is Nike partnering with Fortnite. And what it is essentially is users in Fortnite can go and there's like an experience where you can find certain Nike shoes. They're kind of plopped up all over. Now they look like the Air Force Ones that Dot Swoosh just revealed. But what they've announced to go along with this that's really cool is you can link your Epic Games account with your Dot Swoosh account. And so now your Dot Swoosh becomes sort of like an identity inside of Epic Games. That is massive because Fortnite is, I don't know, probably the biggest game in the world, I think. I forget how many millions are on this thing, but it's a lot. And so you can link your accounts. We'll talk about you know what is gonna happen with that in a second. But what that does and the incentives they're giving to actually do that, is that will give you the ability to have a future drop with Dot .Swoosh, which is called the Air Max Virtual Collection. So they're gonna have another collection coming out. In order to be eligible for that, you've gotta connect your Dot .Swoosh to Epic Games. So pretty interesting to see what happens there. It's a massive partnership, obviously. And it's just Nike is continuing to move further into the metaverse, move further into these kind of digital experiences. What I love about this is they've done this really cool journey of taking some Web3 people, but a lot of just Nike fans and bringing them through the idea of self-custody. Well, not necessarily self-custody yet, but the idea of learning about NFTs and self-custody, but without talking about any of that kind of stuff, right? It's all done through this sort of Web2-like experience where you have this Nike account, you have this NFT, which is your identity, which is a dot swoosh. They don't call it that. They just call it an identity. And then from that, you've been able to reveal or buy these, these boxes where you can reveal these shoes. And now you can go and bring those into Fortnite and connect your account there. I think where this goes is dot swoosh ends up becoming, or what they're trying to do, becoming the sort of identity layer inside of the metaverse. And so instead of your, whatever your Fortnite name is, you would have your dot swoosh name, right? Whatever that thing is. Kyle had dot swoosh. And now that acts as my account name inside of Fortnite where I can use my Nike stuff, but also it's a wallet. And so people can send me, they can send their, you know, whatever currencies towards it. So that's where they're going. And they're really just onboarding. I think right now they have about two to 5,000 wallets per week, which are dot swooshes, which are being minted per week. So they're doing a great job of onboarding more people and they're still in beta, right? This is still, it's not even available to Canada. The only reason I got it is one of our community members bought some boxes on my behalf. Um, so I can't even get it yet, which is crazy. So they'll open this up in the coming months. And I think it'll be a really, really big deal. They're already onboarding a ton and they're just creating some cool experiences. So it's exciting stuff. What are your thoughts uh, on this, Andrew? Yeah, no, I like it as well. I mean, a high level,
1: I'm actually more excited by the integration in Epic than I am kind of the collectibles. and, And I'll tell you why. So for me, I look at it as identity, right? Identity means first party data. High-quality first-party data, I know this from my Amazon days, means the ability to create great loyalty programs because you understand your customers, you understand their yeah. desires. And what do loyalty programs mean? High long-term value, high long-term customer value. So I think I'm very bullish on the Epic integration. In terms of the actual NFTs, I've seen them. I think they're cool. I think they're kind of you know similar to other You know, fashion and retail NFTs I've seen. I would love to see some NFT in-game integration in some capacity because, again, I went to 3XP, which for anyone that's not familiar, kind of a community-run gaming conference for Web3 that they just had in Pasadena. And I will say I saw some really, really awesome games, like things that I think will drive mass adoption and mass awareness. But then what was interesting is when I talked to the founders of these projects and I dug in, uh, it's kind of what I expected. Like there really is not a whole lot happening on chain. It, it's either things like similar to this mint NFT item, but then it's not connected to the game in any way, or it's you know a singular transaction that happens at the beginning, a singular transaction that happens at the end, and then everything else is happening on Unity kind of off chain. So I think this is a nice step in the right direction. I think from a a let's call it like first party data loyalty platform development standpoint, this is smart. But I'd like to see more like actual in game integration. But but we're early, you know. So I'll give them credit.
0: Yeah, that's what, So when you re, did your reveal for these yeah. Air Force Ones, it showed five stages of utility. The first one is you just get like a 3D file of your shoe. So you could what get a 3D printed or you could maybe upload it into like some sort of metaverse and have it in there. But that's kind of it. But there's other things. So they've also made a partnership with EA Sports. And so there's, we don't know what that's going to be, but potentially you could wear your shoes inside of these. I'm sure yeah. they'll have more, but like you said, it's early they just need to get this in the hands. And I mean, they're still having a lot of technical difficulties figuring all this out and that's why they're still in beta. So I think there'll be plenty to come. Which by the way, if anyone has seen over the last 24 hours, I don't know if it's been a hack or what's been going on with the dot swoosh system, but people were logging into their account and they would be logged into someone else's account and could see their mm-hmm. shoes. And so they they had to shut it down. They I at I haven't been on Twitter this morning, but so I don't know if they fix it or what, but this is why they can't go and just open this up publicly to everybody, why they can't have all this utility and all these games because it's just like, they got to figure this stuff out. It's still brand new. And so I think it'll be a while until we have all those things. But like you said, step in the right direction. And and I think the data side of it is really cool because what happens here is when you connect your dot .swoosh account to Epic Games, what Epic Games can see and same with Nike is mixed data. So now they can see your data inside of Fortnite and pair that with your on-chain data, right? And so... Like you said, forming partnerships, creating better experiences and loyalty. There's a lot you can do with that, which I think is really, really, really cool. And we're still just hitting the tip of the iceberg for connecting online data with on-chain data. And so we'll see what Nike does, but I'm sure they're doing something really cool along with Fortnite because there's so much they can do with this. I know a lot of listeners here don't love that you can see data and blah, 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 but that's just the reality of the internet. That's how it's all going to work. So like, you got to get over that. There's always going to be data that you can see about customers and you want that. If businesses didn't have data on our customers or our potential customers, it would be a terrible experience on in the internet. You never get anything right. So, like, we need to share data sometimes. We'll find better ways of doing it, but like, give give us time. Yeah.
1: Anyway, you know, we turn inter- this one. Like, when we look at the cookie list future, obviously, the ability to have two very large scale first party databases doing data matching, to your point, it's just going to create great experiences, right? Like, Nike's going to know which games to target, you know, next based on usage, based on graphics based on, you know, overlap with Fortnite.
0: I like this quite a bit. Yeah. yeah. I think it's going to be huge. And the other thing with Switch is just they're making moves and they're making them fast. Yeah. Like they just like partnership after partnership, launch after launch. And I love to see that someone that's like a doer and they're just like making, making roads. And I mean, we're one of the biggest brands in the world. So uh, this is huge for adoption of Web3. Absolutely love it. All yeah. right. Okay. Let's move on to layer twos. Uh, layer twos have been having a moment. This is layer two summer. We've been saying this for, I think, two summers <laughs> now. And uh, it looks like we're finally actually having it. There's so much going on in this Layer 2 world. They're really taking off. And so we're going to cover a few different organizations which are have launches and different things going on with Layer 2s. We'll talk Polygon. We'll talk Binance because uh, they actually have a Layer 2 now. We've got Zora and then we've got Immutable, some stuff going on there. So we'll start it off with Polygon because we touched on this one last week when T-Pan was on the episode and um, T-Pan's a man. And so... <laughs> and it made this announcement of polygon 2.0 we covered it all last week so if you're if you're not familiar check that out but on the 20th so two days ago they announced the first stage of this which is what are they going to do with polygon proof of stake now as I mentioned this is a really big deal because polygon proof of stake has I mean dot swoosh that's on polygon reddit that's on polygon like all the big brands that are currently in the space most of them are currently on polygon and the problem is polygon proof of stake is not that decentralized of a network, right? They only have 100 validators. So they would be much better being on a layer two, like Arbitrum or Optimism, but these are all new, right? So it's taking time for them to, to come in. And so Polygon's been around for a while, good biz dev team. So they've been able to bring in these big brands. My fear is always, well, what happens if something happens to Polygon? Because it's not that secure. We don't want to see Nike and Reddit and all these others get screwed over. We need to make sure that this network is secure because this is gonna impact the entire ecosystem. Polygon, I'm sure knows that, understands that. And so they put out a proposal to their community just two days ago, announcing that they want to turn, they wanna transition Polygon POS into a layer two on top of Ethereum, particularly a zk EVM. So basically it is a EVM compatible layer two that uses zero knowledge proof so that can be potentially more scalable, have some privacy stuff, uh, and just be a much better overall experience, much more secure. And so basically what we have is, is that you've got the Polygon team, which is onboarding a lot of big massive brands of the space. And now they're gonna be using the security of, of Ethereum. And so I think that is exactly what we need and what we want. And so really, really cool. Now, will this pass? I'm not sure, I have no idea why it would not pass. But the other final really cool thing about this is the current layer twos that exist, they're all still very fairly new. And so they're slowly decentralizing each aspect of their technology. The one thing we've all been waiting for is a decentralized sequencer, uh, which is basically, I'm not going to get into the tech stuff, but it's the thing that sends the transactions to Ethereum itself. Those are currently centralized in a lot of our layer twos. It'll eventually be decentralized, just takes time. The nice thing about what Polygon has is they already have over hundred validators for their existing network. And so what they're going to do is move those validators to immediately start validating the sequencer. So we'll have a decentralized sequencer For the layer two and then of course the settlements will occur on ethereum itself so this would be really great it'd be the first one to actually decentralize the sequencers however this won't happen until if this gets approved they are looking at potentially q1 of 2024 for this to actually launch so pretty cool a big deal obviously for the space just because of the the amount of activity, the amount of users, the amount of big brands that are using Polygon. And so great to see them want to you know, focus on security and move this over to a layer two on Ethereum. So we actually predicted this would be the case and now it's happening. So pretty cool there. Now we've got a lot of layer two stuff. So Andrew, I'm not even going to let you comment on this one because we've got a bunch more. So in another layer two going on, which is going on in the Binance world, why don't you tell us what's going on with this one? OPBNB.
1: <laughs> I'm a little bullish on this one. I think, you know, when you think about even just the notion of layer threes or app chains, I mean, it makes total sense that folks are to create scalability layers even for themselves. And again, when you look at, you know, Binance, I mean, not only do they have the decentralized exchange, you know, most people know they own, you know, CoinMarketCap and other things. So it would make sense that over time they might start to deploy their own dApps, right? And they're gonna want their own scalability layer, they're gonna wanna have control over gas fees and things like that. So this one makes total sense to me. Candidly, I hadn't heard rumors or murmurs of it. So it was a little bit of a surprise for me, as, as I'm sure it was for other folks. But I think it's exciting. And I think, um, you know, optimism, I get it. It makes total sense. I mean, optimism, obviously, very aligned with uh, Vitalik and Ethereum, uh, you know, very similar to Arbitrum. So it, it seems like a decent choice on their part. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And to give you an idea of what's going on here. So optimism has created a, a tech stack that really anyone can use to create their own Layer 2. This is what Coinbase is doing with their Layer 2 called Base. Right. And so they have kind of using the OP stack. And that's exactly what Binance is doing, except for instead of it selling on Ethereum, like what Coinbase is doing, they're going to settle on Binance Smart Chain. So, what's funny about this is so BNB is a fork of Ethereum. They, you know, they just copied it essentially. And so they run their own chain. It's also, but what they did is they're less decentralized. They've increased the block length so that it's faster and cheaper, but it also gets quite clogged. And so their fees go up whenever we're in a bull run. And so they also need a layer two. And so they basically now are, I guess they're not forking Optimism, but they're using Optimum's tech stack and bring it over onto the BNB chain. So I think this is the first, outside of Ethereum, probably the first layer two on any chain, as far as I'm aware of anyway. So quite interesting. And look, BNB has a ton of activity, a ton of users. Look, it's not the most decentralized thing in the world. And so like, I don't love that. We don't really know what's going on in the Binance world, but hey, they have a ton of apps, a ton of users. And so, I mean, they're the second largest in the space. So it's cool. And look, we're going to just continue to see copycats is what's going to happen in this space. We need that. And if people have not realized yet, there is going to be thousands and thousands and probably millions of layer twos. Now, I believe probably rolling up on Ethereum, not necessarily BNB, but hey, if BNB does get more decentralized in the future, maybe them as well. But there is literally going to be thousands to millions of layer twos in the future, in the coming probably decade. And I'm not sure people are really wrapping their head around that. And we can see that from, Andrew was just bringing this up before we we started recording. So Arbitrum, just yesterday, I believe it was, announced that they have a new sort of L2 tooling called Arbitrum Orbit, which allows you to launch your own L2s, similar to this OP stack we were just talking about. Uh, but now Arbitrum has done it. But they've done it so easily that you can, it's basically one click to launch your own layer two. And so we have a tweet here of Nat or Dabit who um, we've had in the podcast and is also a dev at Lens Protocol where he deployed his own layer two in about three minutes. And what was it he called it? Andrew, you were laughing about this? No comment. (laughs) I'll let you be the one to share that information. (laughs) (laughs) So he called the chain D's Nuts, I believe is what it was. And so that's the new chain we've got, the new layer two that we've got going on on Ethereum. But I was going to say thank you for moving the space forward. (laughs) Exactly. So just cool that I mean we're getting to a point where I mean, two years ago, we didn't even have Layer 2s, right? They were just launching. And now we can launch a Layer, anyone can launch a Layer 2 in uh, in under three minutes. It's just Mm -hmm. incredible the speed of development in this space. And then one more on the Layer 2 side of things, Zora, we talked a lot about Zora with our free mints. So they do a lot of different free mints. This is what like Coinbase Shield was on and a bunch of others. And they have just launched their own Layer 2 as well. And I believe they're using the OP stack. I can't remember now. Yeah, they are. They're using Optimism stack as well. Uh, and so basically they're just going to allow us to mint NFTs in a more gas efficient, scalable way on top of L2s. And Zora does a lot of like creator tools. So for those that want to launch NFTs and do it in scalable ways where you're launching like unlimited mints, um, Zora has been amazing for that. And now they're doing it on top of Ethereum with their own layer two. So we'll just allow for more utility and, uh, and doing it in a more scalable way. So again, another layer two coming. This was like in one day, we had like three new L2s. It's crazy. There's yeah. more than, that. I'll give you a little alpha if you want. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Shamir, what else you got for us? The other L2 that I've been keeping an eye on is is Kinto. I think the Twitter handle is like KintoXYZ, but take a look. KYC compliant, targeting large financial institutions, very experienced crypto native development team. So there's a lot coming. I agree with you. I think you're going to see copycat L2s. I think you're going to see new use case L2s. I think you're going to see a lot of new interesting kind of interconnectivity. Going back to Arbitrum Orbit, I mean, we're really talking L3s at this point, but um, I'm excited. Like I'm just seeing so much innovation in such a short period of time. And obviously it makes total sense, right? Like bear market is the bear season, right? Building a bear season. So everybody's been building and now we're seeing the fruits of those builds. Shout out to the builders!
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Here's a question for you. And maybe just you've heard about this when you read at Arbitrum, maybe this is something you were talking about. And if you can't talk about it, it's fine too. Okay. So thousands, millions of L2s make sense. We need that for scalability. Yeah. What we really need though is People shouldn't know what or shouldn't care what L2 they're on. And the problem is when you have assets on, let's say, Arbitrum, but you need to do something on Optimism, and you got to bridge them, it's super annoying. How do you think that that gets abstracted away? Or like, how do you think we move forward with that? Because there's no way that's how we're going to use this in the future. I'll be totally honest with you. You
1: know, about a year ago, I thought we were going to see a bridge run. Yeah. Because obviously there's narratives. And so candidly, I started looking into all the bridges. I started researching them. I started, you know, investing into some of them. And then, you know, we started to see all these bridge exploits happening. And for anyone that's not familiar, I mean, a lot of times, if not all of the times, these bridge exploits are due to human error, right? So when you see a bridge that hasn't been exploited, I would say nine times out of 10, the rationale as to why it's, you know, hasn't been exploited yet is very simplistic user experience. Because again, when you're going onto the bridge and when you're going off of the bridge, those two moments are when you're most vulnerable right so i do think we're probably looking at a bridgeless future i mean full transparency part of why i went to um to hashflow is we're bridgeless right and what, we're, what we what you can do right now is obviously swap between chains but this is public news i believe we're going to be the first ever um, decentralized exchange that allows for evm and non evm chain compatibility which again no bridges i think this is kind of where the future looks what the future looks like and where the future is going yeah
0: right so with hashflow you yeah. said no bridge so meaning let's say i have tokens on I don't know, Arbitrum and I want to you know, switch to a different token, but that is on a different L2 because I need it for whatever. You could do that all in like kind of one swap or how does that work?
1: Yeah. I mean, I would just honestly say like the best experience is just to kind of go and try it for yourself. But yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could kind of pull up the screen and demo it for you, but I'm not going to shill the podcast. And we understand this. I mean, even look at our website, it's it's not .io, it's not .xyz, it's .com for a reason, right? We want to make everything kind of normally accessible. And, and even if you look at the hashverse we decided to push the launch back a little bit in order to actually create a normie friendly onboarding experience and so i would say in general like these are maybe signals to look for with certain companies like are they building purely for crypto natives or do you think that they understand what mass adoption looks like and are you starting to see some of those signals and signs and i think that's usually a, a pretty good indicator of of a team that's you know heading in the right direction yeah right absolutely yeah.
0: Cool. Okay. So we got one more piece of news and then we'll take our, our quick break and then uh, we'll get into our quick hits. This one's really big actually. And again, over with Epic Games. So Gods Unchained, which is the a game that is built on top of Immutable. It was actually one of the first Web3 games that was built. It's like a, a trading card game, but what the team of Gods Unchained actually built Immutable because they needed more scalability in their game. And so this layer two of Immutable, which is now kind of the home of most games in the space, uh, was built as a result of this. So it's a really interesting game and it's it's got some good adoption in the Web3 space, but they realized, hey, we need to get this out to the masses. How can we do that? Well, they did it by launching their game on top of Epic Games. And so now this game is accessible to over 230 million PC users worldwide, which is massive. And so what's cool about this is it's in Epic Games. Anyone can use it and play with it. Immutable, we've talked about them a lot. They've built this sort of like passport and this whole experience where you can self custody and play around with the digital assets inside of games, but you don't really go through all the issues that we currently have with blockchain, right? It's all kind of abstracted away. And so now they're ready to start taking their games more mainstream. Uh, and so that's what they're doing here. And so users of Epic Games will be able to sign up, play, and use NFTs and everything inside of this game. And it should be a seamless experience with immutable powering in the back end. This is exactly what we want to see with Web3. This is how Web3 games go mainstream by not being a Web3 game, right? By just being a game that underneath has Web3 stuff powering it, which is exactly what this is. So this is a massive moment. I don't think we have any games in Web3 that have been on a platform this big before. So we'll see what kind of adoption it gets. But this is this is huge. And I'm sure this is Immutable's gameplay with a bunch of games in the future. And they're pretty far ahead in this strategy. So I'm super bullish on this, super excited about that. Yeah. Andrew, anything you want to add on that? No, just, just shout out to
1: Immutable. I mean, I agreed. I think this is incredible. I think this is incredible for the industry as a whole. You know, again, when we talk about just moving the industry forward, I look at this as a moment that, that's
0: doing that. So um, into right. so Immutable. This is, uh, again, as you said, the build season has brought us just so much, right? Yeah. And now everything is watching. Everything's coming to fruition. I'm bullish. The I'll tell you that. In the industry
1: are going to be very interesting.
0: In my yeah. I, very again, interesting. I agree. Look at other things that I know that have been,
1: you know, being built... Arbitrum and other chains in the past year that launched yet, even just kind of our roadmap. I I think we're going to see a lot of innovation. Yet. Yeah. You also think one thing I would just call out. I also think there's a lot of uh companies in this industry that have been holding off on their announcements because I think they're a bit of a point of view of even though it's a great time to build, if there aren't users, if there isn't interest, if there's negative sentiment, that's not right. a great environment so when I've seen companies launch recently a lot of them kind of have been a little lackluster so I also think we've got a lot of companies sitting and waiting for optimal launch moment Yeah, and I think when we start to see maybe like a bit of a macro turn which I guess maybe we're starting to see a little bit right now
0: you'll probably start to see a wave of launches
1: happening as
0: well it's it's an interesting thing about this space as much as like I mean web 3 a lot of people are using it for social and for games and things that are not necessarily financial but ultimately everything in the space is a financial asset right whether it's an nft token whatever and so our industry as much as like i hate this is really powered a lot by markets right and so when markets go well a lot of users come into our space and whether they're for investing and speculating or they're just coming to use it that's when we get the media attention and so this is why we have this like crazy cyclical nature of web 3 and of crypto and so you're right like we need the markets which is weird we need the macro we need interest rates and liquidity up All these things that most people don't care about before we want to launch like games and stuff. It's a bit weird for people to like register, but because we're driven so much by the financial aspect of this industry, we need markets to be moving forward and we need a lot of green candles for people to want to launch in a good environment. So it's it's a great point. Anyone that understands the difference between like
1: crypto native and normie marketing platforms, you're probably not doing any paid marketing on the native platforms. And so you're also reliant on organic digital WOM to really get that news out there and drive kind of, you know, mass impressions and awareness. And again, if you're looking at CT and only 10% of the typical users are active right now, you
0: know, terrible
1: time to try to launch something there. Yeah.
0: Great point. Okay, guys, we're going to take a quick second to hear a sponsor, but uh, coming up next, We're going to talk about a bunch of bullish on-chain metrics, some really cool charts that we've pulled up. A couple of these have gone viral on Twitter. So we just want to share them with our podcast listeners in case you're not on Twitter. And then we've got some quick hits, some stuff going on with ETHscriptions, I believe we're calling it, and a few other things. So make sure to stick around and check that out. We've got a bullish ad coming up actually. So we'll take a quick second to hear from our sponsor
2: what's up y'all doers we're seeing signs on chain of the very early stages of a crypto bull run there's a big wave coming and we want to make sure you're on it now's the time to capitalize on the opportunity how you ask by starting to practice consistent dollar cost average buys into strong network-based assets like ethereum and bitcoin however when buying please make sure to use a trusted exchange Our newest sponsor, Buy DeFi, is a reliable exchange that offers you a platform to turn your fiat into crypto. They also offer awesome rewards, allowing you to earn up to $2,800 for completing easy tasks like setting up two-factor authentication and verifying your identity. If you're eager to get into the market, get started with Buy DeFi now by visiting buydefi.com, that's B-Y-D-F-I.com, or clicking the link in the description below.
0: Speaking of a bull run, there it is. That's Jay's ad that he made for us. We miss you, Jay. Hope uh, Jack, Jack is his baby's name, by the way, in case you guys don't know. We hope that he's doing well. He looks great. I've seen some pictures. We'll have to get some on the podcast soon. her down to his waist. <laughs> yeah, already. <laughs> All right, before we get into some of the news, we'll do our quick Web3 Person of the Month. This week, we had a good battle between Ryan Watt from Polygon, Stani from Lens, David Horvath who is from Ugly Doll, which is a plush toy brand. And then we had Eli Ben Sasson, which I believe he's from, is he from Arbitrum? No, he's from Starknet. Yeah, Starknet. That's it. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Cool. And anyway, the winner of this, the one with the best community was David Horvath. David Horvath is the co-founder of the Ugly... Yeah, little uh, golf clap. Is that what we call it? <laughs> <laughs> is the co-founder of Ugly Doll plush toy brand. He had a 20-year career in character IP. So IP in the brand space. So he's worked with a bunch of different companies, but Disney, Sony, Illumination, Coca-Cola, et cetera. And the thing that he's doing for the space and why he's he's won this today is he's doing a lot to move IP and branding forward in this space. We saw this whole IP thing come about with NFTs, I guess, in 2021. But then people were like, well, do we really have IP? How does this really work? Do we have royalties? Do we have all this stuff? And people didn't really know what was going on. And so He's done a great job of sort of educating and trying to move the the I guess guidelines and best practices forward, and he's done that with his, his own brand with Ugly Doll, and then just again doing it with he's got a Substack and a podcast where he's just doing a lot of you know education around this space and helping people in the Web three space understand IP. Andrew, I know this was something that you used to do back in the day, or you were at least involved with a lot. Anything you want to uh, say in terms of IP? No, I think it's great. I mean, like obviously when you look at consumer products or the
1: licensed products business, I mean. And actually, shout out to Luca. I think he's doing an incredible job on the budget. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but like, this is a great example, again, of, I think someone who's really helping to move the space forward. You look at David, obviously David has great experience. The entertainment industry is built on relationships, right? He's got all those relationships. So again, this is someone that I think can do a lot of good for all of us. So, so shout out to David.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Some bullishness. Let's talk some bullishness because I know that Let's we all, love, we all love bullishness. So we did a report a few weeks ago, and we were looking at how many people are in Web3, just trying to guess, you know, in different industries, how many people are, u- are gaming, how many people are using DeFi, et cetera. So we have a bunch of charts on Dune. Uh, it was a great report, but we went back and just were checking it out. We realized that last month, so in May, we reached an all-time high for monthly active wallets ever on-chain in one month. Uh, and it was actually quite an increase. So it was 85 million, 85.6 million. Now, that's not active users. There's not 85 million people on-chain right now. These are wallets and you can have many wallets. Many of us have a ton of different wallets and there's a lot of scammers and people that are trying to airdrop farm. And so they have tons of wallets. So I estimate that maybe like 33% or so of these are actual like unique humans. So that's what we estimated in our report. We saw similars with A16Z. They kind of came across similar numbers. Uh, But we had about a 20% increase from previous months. We were at around 70 million was kind of our cap before. And now we're at 85.6 million And we're looking to, uh, on pace already to surpass that here in June. So I think this screenshot that I have up on the screen was taken a couple days ago. And so my guess is we're going to be above 90 million monthly active wallets in the month of June, unless we have a even bigger spike. Maybe we'll reach the 100 million. Let's see. But that would be pretty massive. So you know the markets look to be doing well. We seem to, you know, we're getting some legitimacy with all these big banks and stuff coming in, and potentially the ETF. But we're seeing on chain activity just absolutely taking off and. I mean, looking at this chart, it's been taking off all year. Throughout this whole bear market, we have seen kind of up only for the most part. There was a bit of a dry spell there for a little bit, but it's been, you know, gains, even though not necessarily in prices. So it's great to see that, you know, active wallets are just continuing. People are moving on chain. For why, we don't know, but um, it's just good to see that we're seeing a lot of people on chain. Next up, NFTs. Are you an NFT degen, and Andrew?
1: Now, funny enough, when you were talking, I just went on NFT Go. I was like, oh, let's see how many buyers and sellers there are today. And I was like, looks like
0: it's still me and my friends. (laughs) Well, so that's exactly what we're going to talk about here. So if you've been on Twitter lately, you've seen a lot of charts of what I have up here, which is a down only chart of volumes and users using NFTs on NFT marketplaces. So basically people buying and selling NFTs and it's been down and down and down. And so it looks bad. A lot of people are saying, well, NFTs are dead. And I mean, if you look at this chart, it looks absolutely like they're dead. There's 427,000 wallets actively interacting on NFT marketplaces and this across all the big chains and all the big marketplaces in last month. So that's not a lot considering that most people have multiple wallets. So like we're well under hundred thousand actual unique humans. And honestly, probably much less than that, much lower than that. What was interesting is we were trying to figure out, well, all these new wallets that we have, were 85 million, what's going on? And actually, although we're seeing down only on the NFT marketplace activity, In terms of NFTs in general, so wallets just interacting with NFTs, not having anything to do with the marketplace, we're about to pass all time highs this month. So, with 10 days to go in the month, we already are beating last month, which last month was a massive increase. And the most we've ever had was, I think it's about 12 million is the number. We were at 10 million a couple days ago. And so, we're likely going to surpass 15 million wallets interacting with NFTs, which means we're going to all time highs. In terms of wallets interact with NFTs, which tells me, okay, people aren't trading NFTs anymore. I mean, other than Andrew, the DJ over here. <laughs> but
1: oh, by the way, this is a good resource for anyone that's interested. It's uh, You just go to nftgo.io slash analytics slash market dash overview. But what I'm seeing right now is it's kind of like the Ethereum, you know, Fury Greed Index. The yeah. Sentiment now 33 and cool. Oh, God. Buyers about 6,500, sellers about 7,500, right? Which- it's been fairly consistent around that for a while. I think it dipped down into the threes or fours at one point, but you know, candidly, I expected it to be back in the tens at least by now. So wow, it's under ten thousand people. Yeah, yeah. And again, like I don't know exactly how they're looking at these numbers. I don't know if when we see you know, sixty five hundred buyers, seventy five hundred sellers, I don't know if they're tying that to wallet addresses or if they're using. something. They'll right. look at like duplication, but it's small, right? And then obviously, you've seen some really big, you know, collectors and traders like Franklin kind of dipped out. So it's just um, again, I think I think macro as macro improves, we'll probably see some of this stuff turn around. I just also
0: question whether or not the all time highs of PFPs will ever come back. You know? Yeah, I don't think so. So my like, my take from this is, look, NFTs are not dead. Trading NFTs are also not dead, but like kind of dead at the moment. And for me, it's like utility NFTs is what's taking off right now. That's why everyone is in this because you get experiences, you get access, whatever. And I mean, that's what we're seeing with Reddit with. Nike with Dot Swoosh, with I mean, even WorldCoin is bringing in a ton of wallets. And so there's like, there's all of these platforms. That are br- <laughs> what's that? Via retina scans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's there's a lot of activity and things happening, but it's not necessarily in tradable assets. I mean, even look at what Zora is doing, right? These are soulbound NFTs. You can't even trade them at all, but there's a lot of utility these and it, it changes the way that we use the internet. And so I think that will continue to gain adoption. Trading will continue to exist. But it's niche, right? Like the art market is very niche in terms of people like trying to flip art. That is a very niche group of people. And that's basically what this stuff is. And so there will always be this trading world. And so Blur, that's what who they're you know trying to market towards and build products to. But like that's niche. There's not a lot of people that care about that. But a lot of people use the internet and care about games and experiences and etc. And so that's where this stuff will go mainstream. Uh, and then there'll be the people playing around in the background trying to flip things and trying to speculate on that. And that's fine. They'll always exist. It's just, that's not what's going to drive this market forward. Um, That's my opinion anyway. No, I I agree with you. I mean, even if I look at kind of my
1: NFT collection, like I'm up compared to most, which I think is good news, but I think part of that that is one, you know, timing of the buys and then two, the bulk of my own collection is utility based. It's in-game characters, in-game items, you know, things like that, that actually have some utility.
0: All right, moving on to uh, a little bit more here of NFTs. Eatscriptions. This is the new thing that's come about. I think it launched June, was it 17th? It's already got over 200,000. I don't know if they call them mints. I'm not exactly sure what they call them, but let's call it Eat I guess is what they're called. And this is very, I guess I would call it interesting, but <laughs> it's- uh, Actually, than I am, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's basically you think of what Bitcoin ordinals are, and we've talked a little bit about what that is and, and how they work. It's not minting an NFT via a smart contract. It's doing it through, and I'm not gonna get it all the tech because quite frankly, I don't really understand it, but through this sort of hex idea where you take this text and you put it into the hex and you gotta send a transaction and then it gets basically put into the blockchain via a transaction, not via a smart contract. Now people are super bullish on this and are like, well, inscriptions are great because they're cheaper and it's cheaper because it's a transaction. Or when you create a smart contract, that's quite expensive on chain, which is why NFTs are kind of expensive to use. But when you just do a transaction, it's much cheaper. So it's like a different way to get imagery or text or whatever onto chain, but doing it in a, I guess, a cheaper way. So cool. People are playing around with it. Of course, what comes from it? Crypto, what was it called? Crypto or whatever. CryptoPunks version of this. And this happens everywhere. Bitcoin, Journal, same thing. There was a CryptoPunk one that went on there too. So they sold out like 10,000 in the matter of like hours kind of thing. So it's got a little bit of hype. For me, it's look. so let's say you mint one of these, if that's even the word that they use, you inscribe one of these. It doesn't have the utility or the functionality like NFTs do on Ethereum today, right? You can't go and put that on OpenSea until OpenSea goes and builds in the functionality for that and builds in those features. So they've got to actually like go code that in. And so does every other application on top of Ethereum or, or any other chain. So it's very limited now. Will people build things with it in the future? Potentially, who knows? We don't really know. For me, like, I don't think so. I don't think it has legs. But this is what happens in the space: people take anything new and they just go nuts with it. And so that's why we have two hundred thousand inscriptions already, and I'm sure that will continue to go up. I was not bullish on Bitcoin Ordinals either, and look at that thing's gone absolutely nuts. I still don't think it goes anywhere in the future. It's just a bunch of degens playing around. That's my assumption here. But who knows maybe we'll build some utility around it something that actually like can drive some value and create some experiences Et etc but I don't know we'll see what are your thoughts listen I love ethereum I, you know
1: most folks know that I kind of agree with you across the board I think that this is your typical kind of history play narrative play right so anyone that's you know buying an description right now I think they're probably buying it for one of two reasons they're either buying it for I want to own a piece of history I think history has tangible value in the future or it's I know how the cycle works. I know how the narrative works. And just to right. kind of reiterate what I said before, it's like, here's how it goes. Ready? ordinals, then becomes these and then when, alt-scriptions. Right, right. I wouldn't be surprised, as, as funny as it sounds, I wouldn't see, be surprised to see alt-scriptions emerge in the next you know month or so right. as just a continuation of the cycle narrative play. But, but listen, I'm always for folks that are innovating. I'm always for folks that are trying to break shit and do new things. So- I think everyone that's kind of playing in the space, more power to them. You never know what you're gonna
0: unlock in the process. But yeah, I, I agree with you for the most part. All right, we've got just one more for today, and then we're gonna wrap up. We started things a little bit late. So we've got to we've got to wrap up here. And we'll finish off with this one. If anyone can see the picture, if you're watching on YouTube, we've got a picture of Doquan. For those who don't know, that maybe are new in the space. Doquan was the founder and creator of Terra Luna, which was the blockchain which collapsed in crazy fashion. And basically just pissed away thirty billion dollars of value within like I don't know twenty four hours or something. It was quite wild. So he's been on the run from authorities for I don't know since this happened last year. Um, he's been hiding out in Montenegro, and they knew that he was in Montenegro. But I guess he's finally they captured him. They put him in jail, not for anything to do with Terra Luna though. He's in jail because he used a fake passport to get into Montenegro. So. He's going to serve a four-month sentence in a Montenegro jail. I just think that's absolutely hilarious. Who knows what will happen with him in the future, but um, just that guy has had a whirlwind of the last two years. You know, He was kind of the the king of crypto for a little bit, making billions, and then all of a sudden goes to zero, and he's now on the run, and now he's in jail. So just a wild story going on with Dockland. Two things I'll say on that one. One,
1: not your passport, not your freedom. (laughs) And uh, and then two, why
0: no one has yet to create an endless runner game for these guys. Right. All right. Well, that's a wrap friends. Thanks so much for listening and a big thank you and everyone from the community. Let's give a big thank you to Andrew for joining us in kind of last minute, but he came in and he stole the show as he always does. It's always great to bring someone who just gets the space and can talk about anything. So really appreciate you for coming in and, uh, I'm sure Jay is super grateful for you because he's probably changing a diaper right now and can't be here with me on the podcast. So Andrew, thanks so much. Any final words that you want to say? No, just, you know, thanks for having me. Big fan of of obviously you guys in the community. I'm on
1: CT, you know, hit me up at Andrew Saunders at Hashflow. And then if you want to jump into
0: Hashverse and be early and on, it's at Hashverse. But, um, But yeah, thanks again for having me. I always enjoyed being here. Awesome. Friends, thanks again for joining. Enjoy the starting phase of a bull market. That's what, I mean, I've been calling this for months and it looks like we're finally here. So it's time to go. We're excited. All right, friends, take care and all the best. Stay safe out there. Thank you for listening to Web3 Academy, your one trusted source to capitalize on the next big phase of the internet. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it and subscribe or follow so that you don't miss the next one. While you're at it, there's a link in the description for our free newsletter where we provide timely, and relevant Web3 insights so you can confidently build and invest in Web3. Make sure to subscribe today. One final note, this podcast is for educational purposes only and nothing we say is financial advice. Crypto and Web3 are risky and you should never invest more than you're willing to lose. Thank you, friends, and see you in the next one.